Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. These programs are based on the ministry of Witness Lee and his 21-year crowning work, The Life Study of the Bible, which focuses on the enjoyment of Christ as the divine life as revealed in the Bible. We hope that through these studies, you'll be brought into a deeper enjoyment of the scriptures and of our dear and precious Lord Jesus. You can contact us by sending email to radio at lsm.org or reach us toll-free, 888-LIFE-STUDY. Now, let's join today's program. Our destiny in Christ, as we will see today, is not to die and go to heaven, but to become heirs of glory, fully conformed to the image of God's firstborn Son. Welcome to the Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, a program provided by Living Stream Ministry. The life study of the Bible was a 21-year labor of a faithful servant of Christ. Witness Lee completed this work in 1995, and we're pleased to bring you recorded excerpts of these classic expositions of God's Word. We're currently exploring the Book of Romans, and we're pleased also to welcome Ron Kangas back to assist us in this exploration after a rather lengthy absence. Ron, I know that you've been traveling, and it's very nice to have you with us in this broadcast. It's pleasant and refreshing to be back here with you. Before we get to the central point of our message today, Ron, I'd like to ask you an aside. We will talk today about our being conformed to the image of God's firstborn Son. How is it that Christ, a part of the eternal Trinity, could be the firstborn? Is that just figurative language, as many contend, that simply means that he has the preeminent place? I'm troubled when people say, just figurative language. When I hear this, uh, I expect to hear next some kind of minimizing of the wealth and the depth in the word. Christ is not only the only begotten Son of God with respect to his eternal deity, but he is also in God's economy the firstborn Son. The New Testament gives us a full and balanced revelation concerning Christ. It is an undeniable fact that Christ always was, is, and always will be with respect to Godhead, the only begotten Son of God. This is his status eternally in the Godhead. But when the Son of God, as the embodiment of the Father, and by the Spirit became a man, he took on humanity. When we speak of him as the firstborn son, we speak of him in relation to his humanity taken on in incarnation and glorified in his resurrection. The word firstborn clearly indicates many other sons. That is exactly what the Bible, especially Romans, reveals. So on the one hand, in the Godhead, in his deity, Christ is the only begotten Son of God. But he, the self-same person, 
is also the firstborn son of God with respect to his humanity and in relation to his many brothers as God's many sons. He can also be the firstborn son among many sons, and among them he has the first place, the central place, the preeminence. Thank you, Ron. I appreciate your fellowship. Let's join Witness Lee now for today's life study from the book of Romans. Now, we come to part two of the heirs of glory. In part one, we have seen all the blazings of the sonship. Now, we come to this point that the heirs are conformed for glorification. Conformed to what? Conformed to the image of God's firstborn son, that is Christ. Christ, as God's firstborn son, is the model, the pattern, the example. Christ is the model, the prototype. And all his brothers, the many sons of God, have to be conformed to his image. And this conformation is for the coming glorification. If you would not grow, you would not be conformed to the image of Christ, yet you are expecting to be glorified. You will be disappointed. The glorification to come is depending upon our conformation to the image of Christ. This means the glorification depends upon our growth in life. Listen to this. The seed of carnation as an illustration. We sow the seed into the earth. Then the seed springs up. This is regeneration. At the sprout stage, you have the regeneration. Then this sprout grows up. And this is the growth in life that is in the stage of transformation. Then this little plant will have grown up to a stage that it will blossom. When the blossom comes, that is the transfiguration. And that is also the glorification. The carnation flower, by this time, a blossom will be in the stage of glorification. While the little sprout will be expecting to get into the stage of blossom, of glorification. If it would not grow, the time of blossom will never come. If you would not grow, yet you dream for a time of blossom to come, you are just a dreamer. And this is exactly today's Christian situation. 
So many Christians talking about rapture, talking about the Lord's coming. You know, just two weeks ago, we were uh, taking a dinner with some Christian friends, and they told us today so many Christians just are so interested in the prophecy. I said, in what aspect? And I was told in the matter of rapture and in the matter of Lord's coming with the signs. Well, I would say, if we expect for the rapture, yet we would not grow. We are dreamers. Rapture is the transfiguration. It is also the glorification. No carnation could get into the stage of blossom just overnight. Just like this. Because last night, this little plant had a good dream. And he was expecting to get into the stage of blossom. And the next morning, blossom comes. Well, in a dream, it might be like this. That is just a dream. But in actuality, there's not such a thing. It is absolutely against the law of life. And the law of life is what? You have to grow from a little, just half-inch sprout. You have to grow into one inch. You have to grow day by day, even hour after hour, to two inches, two inches, to three inches, three inches, to four inches, and so forth. Then you will reach maturity until we all arrive at a full-grown man. Then the blossom stage will show up. You'll be transfigured. You'll be glorified. So you see, the glorification with the transfiguration will only be available to you when you will have grown up to that stage. Poor Christianity today. You just have to dream. This kind of dream has been all the time dreamed since the first century. All the Christians in the centuries did dream that the Lord is coming and I am in the air, but still, all of them got buried. Instead of getting to the air, everybody got into the earth. In the past one and a half centuries, many, many funny, big predictors. They were not prophets. They were just nonsense prediction talkers. They give you the year, the date, that the Lord Jesus will come to the air. But all the year, all the days, passed, nothing happened. Ron, this is a very striking picture of the life process of the flower, from seed to blossom, that really illustrates glorification. But we can't let Witness Lee's connection of this picture of glorification to our hope of rapture pass without some comment. As believers, we all dream of the rapture. But the question is, have we considered that the genuine growth of the seed within us must precede this eventual blossoming? Uh, Some have considered it, but the majority have not. I'm rather familiar 
with the various teachings concerning rapture. And uh, it's extremely rare to find a teaching that links, as the Bible does, rapture with the growth, development, and maturity of life. We find this link uh, clearly illustrated in Revelation 14, where you have the first fruit and you have the harvest. As we all know, the first fruits are the ones that ripen first and are picked first. The same principle applies to rapture. Rapture will not be an arbitrary act of selection. Neither will it be a mass taking up of all the believers regardless of their spiritual state. Rapture has something to do with the blossoming of the divine life within us. So, on our part, we who are a crop growing on God's farm need to develop unto maturity so that we may become ready to be raptured. On God's part, he is looking for maturity, he is looking for preparedness, he is looking for development and maturity among those who will be taken first by rapture to be with him. The crucial point here is to associate the phenomenon of rapture with life involving growth, development, and maturity. Simply put, and here we need to speak plainly to our listeners, if we are not ready, if we are not mature, we will not be raptured among the first fruits. This is quite a striking realization and a sobering thought, but it's the truth. Let's rejoin Witness Lee for more of today's life study. One principle I do know, that is, the rapture is the issue of maturity. Why? Because in the New Testament, the rapture is likened as a harvest. And the harvest could only be possible when the crop gets mature, gets ripe. If the crop is not ripe, it's still tender, green. And how could the harvest come? It's impossible. Brothers and sisters, look at today's situation of the Lord's people. Look at the crop. Tell me, is the crop ripe now? Do you believe according to the stage of the growth of the crop, there should be a quick harvest to come? It's impossible. Look at the field. There's no growth. Thousands, even real Christians, everywhere on this earth. Through the two centuries evangelization, missionaries going out to the uttermost of the earth, in the past centuries, everywhere has heard the gospel, everywhere has Christians raised up. But, where is the growth? Where is the growth? 
Where's the building up? There's no growth, no building up, no maturity. How could you expect to have the harvest? It's impossible. Don't take care of the prophecy in that funny way. The funny way of prediction. A lot writers did the same thing. Everyone got a shame. We have to realize the very glorification with the transfiguration depends upon our growth until we reach maturity. If we do expect to be glorified, surely we have to grow. Ron, I'd like to spend a bit more time, if we could, on this matter of rapture. We are really taking a different view today than the common or we might say, more comfortable thought of rapture that prevails in the current religious society. Let me ask you briefly, does this thought of our needing growth and maturity before we're entitled to be rapture in any way negate the promise of grace? And does this then put rapture in the realm of good works? No, we do not earn rapture by good works, by meritorious deeds, That kind of work would be outside of the domain of God's grace. Grace, according to 2 Peter 1, needs to develop in us in the way of life until there is a mature expression of the Lord in us. So, far from being a product of good works, rapture highlights our need for grace, and helps unveil to us the potential of the grace we have received. We need to grow in grace. We need to abound in grace. We need to experience grace. In particular, the word about growing in grace indicates growth, development, and maturity. The principle is the same with the rapture. We do not grow by doing good works. A human being does not grow and develop by doing certain deeds. Growth is a life process, and maturity is the consummation of the life process. So, the grace by which we are saved is not merely an outward thing. Grace is God himself as our enjoyment, supplying us with all that we need so that we may grow into mature sons of God for the building up of the body of Christ. When this grace has matured us in life, we will be ready for rapture. And that rapture will be a testimony not of our works, but of the triumph of God's grace in our whole being. That is the promise of grace. Wonderful. Let's rejoin Witness Lee for the conclusion of today's life study. We have to read verses 28, 9, and 30. Paul says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. For what good? Let's read on. To those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. What was God's purpose in his calling? 
We were called by him according to his purpose. What is the purpose of God's calling? Verse 29, because whom he foreknew, he also predestinated to go to a happy place. Predestinated even to have the everlasting life. To have a life that will last forever and ever. That is not the destiny. Let's read on. He also predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son. This is our destiny. To be conformed to the image of God's firstborn son. It's our destiny. And this destiny was made beforehand, even before we were created. So it is a kind of predestiny. What is the destiny? That is, you and I, we all have to be conformed to the image of God's firstborn son. And his firstborn son was a prototype. And we all are the mass production. And he is the model. He is the mold. He is the pattern. God put all of us into him. And mold us in Christ. And eventually everybody will be conformed to the mold. Now, the divine hand is molding us a little bit. If the doe could speak, surely the doves will cry for mercy. <laughs> oh, have mercy upon me. Don't press so much. Oh, too much pressure. It's hard for me to bear. Oh, keep your hand off. Keep my hand off. If my hand will be kept off, how could you get into the pattern of the mold? Not only so, dear though, after my molding, you will go into the oven. Oh, have mercy upon me. The pressure is sufficient for me to suffer. No, you need the burning. Not under the pressure, you need the burning. So you will bear the pattern forever. How about this? Well, let us read on. Destinated to be conformed to the image of his son, that he should be the firstborn among many brethren. This is God's purpose. God's purpose is to produce many brothers to his only begotten son, that his only begotten son may become the firstborn. When he was the only begotten son, he was the only one, the unique one. But now, after this confirmation, God will have many sons as the many brothers to Christ. So the only begotten son of God will become the firstborn. And he's the firstborn son, and we are the many sons. 
For what purpose? For the purpose to express God in a corporate way. God's kingdom is built up with these many sins. And uh, the body of Christ will be built up with his many brothers. Without the many sons, God could never have a kingdom. Without the many brothers, Christ will never have a body. So these many sons are for God's kingdom, and these many brothers of Christ are for his body. And the kingdom of God is just the body life. And the body life today in the church is just God's kingdom to express God and to have God's dominion on this earth. And this is God's purpose. Ron, this truly is a profound thought that our destiny is to be conformed to the image of God's firstborn son. I'd like to ask you about the phrase, firstborn among many brothers. This part of the verse, it seems to me, is most often ignored, but it really points to where both the book of Romans and even the entire Bible are headed, doesn't it? Yes, sonship is a crucial and vital matter in the scriptures. In Ephesians 1, we're told that we have been marked out, predestinated unto sonship. In Romans, in the early chapters, much is said about sinners, but these sinners are justified by grace through faith and born of God the Spirit to be the children of God. Now the Spirit witnesses with our spirit that we are God's children. Sonship implies the growth of the divine life in the children of God toward maturity. The many sons of God, who are the many brothers of Christ, are also the many members of the body of Christ. God's goal, seen both in Ephesians and in Romans, is the body as the corporate expression of the triune God in Christ. This body on the human side, must have components or members. These members are the many sons of God. So actually, the corporate expression that God desires consists of Christ, his Son, among the many brothers, the many sons of God, conformed to the image of Christ as the firstborn Son. The Bible is headed toward a glorious, eternal, corporate expression of the triune God in Christ. So God wants more than just an individual expression of himself in Christ. He wants Christ to be enlarged in the sense that he is reproduced in his many brothers, God's many sons. Then together, the Son and the sons will be God's corporate expression. In this corporate expression, he, the firstborn, will occupy the preeminence among his many brothers, God's many sons. Ron, we are very glad that you were able to make it back for more fellowship on today's life study. And before you get away again, we're going to try to have you back once more. So we look forward to your coming back very soon. Let me know when you need me, and by the Lord's grace, I'll be here with you. 
Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, produced by Living Stream Ministry. You can now enjoy titles by Watchman Nee and Witness Lee on your computer, tablet, or smartphone. Visit lsm.org epublications to find all that Living Stream has available. We support Kindle, Nook, iSilo, and EPUB formats, which means you can enjoy this ministry on all kinds of PC and Mac devices. Many of our publications are also available at Amazon.com and iTunes. But to see everything we have to offer, visit our website, lsm.org slash ePublications. Thanks for listening today.